This episode of the Consulting Pipeline podcast is brought to you by me, Philip Morgan. I help self-employed software developers manage the transition from generalist to specialist. This is often a very risky transition. It is often a transition that is filled with fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I help resolve those things. After you've made the transition, I also help with doing lead generation in the way that specialists do lead generation. That's a new skill for a lot of folks, especially if they're new to the world of operating as a specialist. And my business is all about helping with those two transitions. If you'd like to learn more, head over to philipmorganconsulting.com. There's just one L in Philip. And if typing a URL is uh, doesn't sound like any fun, just go to Google and type in the words Philip, followed by the word positioning, and I promise you will have no problem finding me. I have got quite a backlog of interviews to catch up on here, so that's what's going to happen for the next, I think, half dozen or so next episodes as I'm going to be publishing interviews that I've done over the previous months. Generally, when I interview people, I'm interested in talking with someone who has some kind of story around the process of moving from a generalist to a specialist that may involve the decision itself about how to specialize that may involve doing lead generation as some kind of specialist. Those are really the two things that I'm most interested in helping my clients with and really anybody who cares to pay attention to all the content that I'm put out. It's really about helping with those two transitions. How do I move from generalist to specialist? And how do I figure out how to generate leads as some sort of specialist? And those two things will move you from being a generalist over time. Those two things plus consistent execution will move you from the generalist market position to a specialist market position. So if you have a story like that, I would actually be very interested in speaking with you. Um, I'm pretty much 100% focused on serving self-employed software developers, but I think that hearing stories from outside that world can be valuable because we it can just sort of cast a different light on the same question that a self-employed software developer might be struggling with. So if you have a story like that or know somebody who does and would be willing to talk to me on this podcast, I would love to speak to you. In today's interview, I speak with Dorian Ferrari, a uh, previous um, client of mine who has, I think, a pretty interesting story about how he does lead generation for his specialized services, which you'll hear all about during today's interview. Dorian, hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm good. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk to me. Uh, you have what I think is a pretty interesting story about lead generation. And so I wanted to get you in front of a microphone and um, and ask you some questions about that so folks out there can learn from what you have done. Sounds good. So let's start with the quick 30-second intro. Who are you and what do you do? So my name is Dorian Ferrari. I run a product development company called Cats Design Farm in which I specialize in helping small inventors and companies produce products from concept to production ready, uh, primarily in injection molded plastic parts. I think maybe two or three examples of the kinds of products you've worked on might be helpful 
sure. for, so, so folks can kind of envision what you do? So some of the products that I've worked on that are on the market now are um, the Zircon Stud Finders. I've worked on developing the housings for them, uh, the aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thing that you'll see nowadays on a lot of beaches and ski resorts called the Sun Shield, which is an automatic um, electronic sunscreen dispenser. Mm. So you'll see those. Uh, they've gotten some big contracts with the uh, Melanoma Society. Uh, and from what I understand, they're now on um, almost all the California beaches and a lot of the spring training for baseball. Cool. And then uh, one of the other real exciting ones was a, um, a hockey puck, a uh, light-up hockey puck that's used with specialized GPS system that can be used to turn an audience into basically a virtual pixel-based uh, display during uh, hockey or other sporting events. Those all sound in their own way really cool. Yeah. So you helped design the product, uh, what, participate in prototyping and uh, prep for manufacturing? Yeah. So okay. usually a client will come to me with a, a rough concept. Um, I'll do uh, the consulting on, you know, which direction they should be going, uh, set up the, the modeling and create a prototype for them and then help do the transition into having stuff injection molded. Um, so I handle all of the back and forth with the molding company uh, to ensure that the, the language that the molding company uses is understood by the client. Okay. So let's roll the clock back maybe two years. Uh, how busy were you two years ago? So two years ago um, would have been right after... Um, I had left my full-time position with Mattel Toys. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a mutual separation. but So the first six months, that, that ended in March. Um, I had to have a surgery. And then so by this time, and two years ago, I was just starting to get my first couple clients. Um, I was having to use things like Upwork and Guru uh, mm-hmm. websites to try to get clients at, at rather embarrassing rates. Um, <laughs> okay to try just to try to bring some some function in yeah um and that you know it it, it was a, a rough few months uh at least six i would say before i started making bitter contacts and starting to, to phase myself out of those type of uh job leads okay what do things look like now things are good i've got you know several probably about a half a dozen regular clients that I do projects throughout the year on. Um, and then I work with a lot of kind of word of mouth type inventors that, that have found me through mutual connections. Um, and then I've got several new clients since moving to Colorado that are local to me here um, that have come through partnerships I've, de- I've developed with uh, molding companies and prototype houses. Very cool. And just to point out something that folks might have missed, uh, in that roughly two-year period, you also relocated, you know, major relocation. <laughs> yeah, went from Southern California to Colorado almost a year ago. So our house um, sold about this time, and we moved in October when the closing happened. Okay. So I've been here less than a year. Let's talk about how you how, – how people find you now? Like it's, I think it seems like there's a couple distinct ways that clients uh, or prospects find you now. Yeah. So I've got a couple of, of primary generation tools. 
Um, one of the biggest ones is still the fact that I do 3D printing um, and have my printers up on a couple of different hub websites, which allow people to have parts printed uh, based on a distributed manufacturing. And the people that are local, oftentimes I can convert into actual design clients because I have the knowledge of looking at what they're trying to do if they're doing a prototype and helping them to, you know, guide them to a better option. Um, so several of my clients have come from that. Um, a lot of the stuff that I have that's on the market now or hitting the market this year has happened due to that process. Okay. Um, so can I stop you right there just yeah. to, to kind of help? Like I know a little bit about that from conversations you and I have had in the past. Yeah. So that's where, like you have the hardware, people through some kind of service can submit jobs that you print. You get paid for printing them, right? You're not doing yes. this for free. No. Okay. But you, you kind of now have what, like a, a little insight into what they're doing. And yes. so do you, do you just kind of like casually say, Hey, I saw you're doing this thing. You want to talk so, like, how does that turn into a, a so deeper conversation? For the people that tend to be local um, and even ones that aren't, aren't local, if it's a print that I can tell isn't from a 3D website that you can use to just download any model, right. um, I can I can usually pretty quickly identify that someone's making a prototype. Okay. And and so usually I'll have the conversation through the web tool with that customer saying, hey, you know, just curious of what direction you're going with this. What is this for and what's your your goal? Okay. Um, and then that conversation oftentimes will lead to, well, we're designing this and, and we want to make a, a molded part. Um, and then I start kind of telling them uh, or guiding them uh, the direction they need to go to in order to get there. And then once that's happened, they almost always turn into a client to do uh, either update that design or to create future designs for them. That's awesome. Okay, so you're, you're really just trying to be helpful. You're just like, hey, what are you doing? And Yeah. Maybe the, oh, go ahead. The 3D printing is not a large income. Yeah. You know, it pays for the material uh, plus a little extra, but it's more to create those conversations is what I use it for. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So that's the first of several lead generation methods. What's the next one? So the second one that has been, you know, one of my largest uh, ways of getting new leads is by partnering with a few select injection molding companies and professional print houses. So the machines that the hardware that I have to print people's parts um, is of a lower tolerance, you know, not so great a surface finish, but it's great for form and function. Okay. Uh, when you want a really pretty aesthetic model, you have to go to what it's called a service bureau um, right. that have, you know, $100,000 plus machines. So I've partnered with those kind of places and injection molding companies to allow them to now offer the service of designing parts for printing and molding. Um, so what has, you know, originally I was directing people to them as a service. Mm -hmm. Those companies are now able to offer their clients the same, uh, expertise that I provide my own clients. Mm -hmm. Um, and often, you know, those have become, you know, at least a couple of dozen clients just this year that come from, from that source. Uh, some of them have now become regular clients. 
So let's drill into how that works. Do you, did you just, I don't know, like cold call at one of these no. service bureaus or how did that part go? So the, the service bureaus turned out to be because there were a couple in back in California that I used to use regularly because I knew them through conferences. Mm-hmm. So okay. what I did was I, I created a portfolio from both my past job um, and from conference discussions with 3D print houses, uh, places that offered that service. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, and then what I did is I looked for ones that provided a better value than the kind of big national ones. Okay. Um, the other reason to do that is that those smaller print houses tended not to have any design capacity uh, in-house. Ah. So I worked with, with the, you know, the main rep that I would work with to get prints done and, and work with them to talk to their management to be able to offer that service through them. Okay. So could you kind of like, um, I wanted to make this super specific for folks. So how did, how did that conversation go? Did you say, here's who I am. You don't know me. Here's how I might help you or. Yeah. So what I, so typically how it has worked and this is both for the print houses and the injection molders mm-hmm. is I would develop first the relationship as a client. Okay. Um, it's like, okay. So we, once I've determined a, a company that, that has worked well, in fact, the, the big molding company that I use was actually found from one of my clients mm-hmm. and I now use them probably for 90% of the injection molding work we do. Okay. Uh, and then once you, once they realize that the stuff that you're giving them in the conversations you have are really good, then you start having that conversation say, look, if you have customers that need the model made, or if you have customers that need a redesign on something, you know, I, I do that as my profession and right. it's something that uh, I can help offer, offer your clients, um, and help give you a wider service capacity. So rather than just being a injection molding company or a print house, they now have an in-house design person without actually having to hire an in-house design person. That's great. Okay. So you're sort of, um, checking them out, making sure they're not bozos. Step one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Step two, you, you build up a bit of a working relationship with them by feeding them projects from your clients. Mm-hmm. And then once that level of trust is there, then you're saying, oh, by the way, I, you know, there's an opportunity for both of us here. Let's talk Absolutely. about that. Yeah. Okay. So um, the only thing that, that sometimes has happened is they often, you know, in certain situations, they have been the ones that say, hey, can you do this design? Um and then in other cases, they've actually sent clients just direct. So like the molding company, rather than having to be like an intermediary, right? they, they will now direct their clients who come to them with this problem directly to me, Got um, it. which works out usually a lot better because then we're not having to deal with cross billing and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Are there more lead generation techniques you're using? Um, so I'll give you some of the oddball clients that have turned into, um, a larger, a much larger portion of my work than ever expected. Um, one of my best clients, which is Zircon actually came through to me originally 
from my LinkedIn profile. Uh-huh. Um, the it, and it wasn't for Zircon. It was another project, and someone said, "Hey, I need this model modified. I see you do this software." That turned into a multi-project design thing uh, gig, and then the primary engineer on that project um, went to work for Zircon. And then he said, hey, we need somebody to do this because they don't have anyone in-house. So that's actually been almost like 40% of my contracts money this year. Um, So I I have had a number of kind of the unusual path of where people find me either through my Facebook page, uh, through Facebook conversations on 3D printing forums, um, groups, um, or through my LinkedIn profile. Interesting. Okay. Sorry yeah. about the plane. <laughs> it's okay. Do you, do you have a, a focus on a particular type of client or really is any client that needs the so, kind of service you have a good client for you? Um, I, I've had to turn a couple of clients away. It, but So I focus primarily on consumer products, um, stuff that may require electronics or mechanisms um, at a minor level, uh, since mm-hmm. I don't do the electronic kind of engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my stuff is all mechanical, some aesthetic. So when I have the initial conversation with the client, I kind of look to make sure that the goals that they're looking for are something that I can provide or extend to some of my other network partners to, to create like a team for them. Um, whereas if someone's looking for something that's completely, you know, out of my realm, um, then I'll, I'll usually tell them that, you know, it's not a good fit. Uh, sure. I do prefer working with small inventors, uh, people who have real harebrained ideas and, and no idea how to go forward with it. Right. Um, but they're not usually the ones with a lot of money. Yeah. So I try to also keep a, a number of the larger clients that have a consistent workload need. So the inventors tend to be a one, one or two project or maybe like one or two project a year situation, whereas companies like Zircon and a company called B4 Adventure up in Denver, they tend to be more of a 10 projects a year kind of thing. Yeah. So that gives me my baseline. Let's talk about those crazy inventors more because they, <laughs> they, they, they remind me a lot of startups. Um, yeah, they are. One of the questions I get over and over, how do I find more startup clients? And as you can imagine, the, you know, the sort of evergreen problem there is they're below the radar startup clients yeah. typically until they need what you do and how, do you, how are you the, the person that they then go to when they need that. So how does that work for you? How do, they, do you find these inventors or do they find you? It's a little bit of a combination of both. So I've had a number of contacts. I'm very active uh, on both Quora and Facebook um, printing groups. Uh And so I've had a a number of of people seek me out that way of uh, either by me answering, someone says, oh, I need need this thing designed or printed or whatever. And and I'll respond and say, hey, this is something simple. I I can take care of this for you. And then that turns into usually a much more elaborate thing when I realize they don't just need something printed. Um, yeah. But but that's how I've got a number of inventors to have that interest. And then it's been 
usually after that initial contact, it's been, um, oh, my neighbor also needs something designed or, or one of my friends or, you know, so it's been a, a kind of a growing network since the inventors tend to be ignored a lot by, mm-hmm. you know, big design companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be a bit of a underground um, communication channel for them because I, I seem to get a lot of referrals from those particular inventors that have been really happy and have been able to get something produced mm-hmm. for without having to spend an arm and a leg through uh, a, a typical full development house. Right. Um, especially when they don't need it. Uh, I, I've heard a number of stories of people who come to me and say, Hey, I got a quote from this place and they wanted to do this, this and this analysis and all this other stuff. And they want to charge me like $20,000 and I don't have that. And I, I look at their design and it's like, you yeah, know, this is about a $2,000 job yeah. and the molding company will take care of the rest of what they're tell they're offering you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they find a resource that's works for their level. Right. And to me, even though they don't, those don't pay as well, they're usually a much more interesting project. Right. I see. It, it's not just another widget. It's, you know, how do I solve this problem? Yeah. I know some folks are rightly concerned of, let's say, joining some group on a social network platform or maybe it's a Slack channel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that like sucks up all their time. Yeah. If, if you had to guess, how much time do you spend doing the kind of interactions you just described on Quora and Facebook? Probably less than maybe like less than six hours a week. Okay. Um, and I'm on Facebook just naturally. So, yeah. you know, some of that, is just from my basic interaction for me looking for, you know, new ideas, new stuff to do with the printers and, and the hardware stuff. And I'll catch someone who's in, who needs help. And so those are usually the people that I reach out to. So I would say Facebook is probably dedicated to that kind of process is, is less than maybe two hours a week. Okay. And then Quora is kind of an up and down. Um, okay. It's sometimes there's a lot of questions that I see that I want to put feedback out for. And and I've gotten a number of subscriptions to my um, email, uh, my printing course that I have uh, through my core answers. Nice. Okay. So that has worked pretty well. That's great. If you could go back, I don't know, a year with, with what you know now, what would you have done differently or started sooner or just not done at all? Well, started sooner is is the one thing that that definitely I'm still working on. And that is to, is regular email interactions to my email list. Um, That's still the one thing that I have a hard time scheduling myself and sticking to it to work. Um, I'm in the middle of a 10 part injection mold definition um, thing, which I'm now, you know, have actually managed to get started finally, even though that was on my list to do back mm-hmm. in January. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, so that, that's the one thing that it's probably the biggest thing to me. It would be to, even when you're busy to force yourself to carve out the time to continue interaction with your client base. Got it. Okay. Um, stuff that I wouldn't do probably worry 
uh, as much. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a lot of times of which it's like, oh, this is a light week, and then I get worried, and then you know, and it, it just seems to happen naturally and always has for me that I get this big flood of uh, of work to come in. Um, yeah, and a lot of times that's been from my email. So when I do send out an email to my client list um, on a topic, it's like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to call you or, you know, cause you, your clients don't always, you know, they're just like you, they, they don't always take the time yeah. to do stuff and projects get delayed and projects pop up. And right. so you need to make sure that you're on their, on their mind. Sure. Okay. So, um, I don't know. What, what have I not asked about? I think you've done a really good job of describing how, how you get work. What, what have I missed? Um, I think one thing is, in addition to just generating the leads, that's been really important for me and it's kind of been a core of my business philosophy is to treat every client, large or small, the same. Mm-hmm. Make them feel like they're a priority, right? Um, regardless of you're having to juggle, you know, ten jobs at the same time, you you have to have that constant communication to the people that you're working with. Make sure mm-hmm. that they know that you're there for them, that you're going to be able to answer their questions, and be quick about responding to them, even if they aren't, because that way you can kind of both project a continued sense of urgency so that that they stay on the ball, Mm -hmm. but also it helps to ensure that they don't start getting questions like, am I doing the right thing? Right. Um, I have one client that I've been working with, uh, which is a drone company up in Canada who makes vineyard drones. And they had a project that stalled and I kept, you know, kind of bringing it up to what's going on. And it turned out that their independent contractor for their board design, their PC board design, kept giving them excuse after excuse why stuff wasn't getting done uh-huh. and they wouldn't get back to them. And you know, that to me is a business killer. If you're not keeping on top of the project, you're basically saying you don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So, with, with your actions. Right. Yeah. So for me, every client gets my full attention. They get my best advice and that, you know, I'll, I'll give you kind of a weird, weird way that that turned out really good is um, I bought printer filament on Amazon a couple months ago and the person's a new reseller. So they actually wrote back a personal note. So I said, I wrote back to him and said, Oh, this, this is interesting. So you, you do develop products also, not just plastic. I said, you know, I do product development and I do printing and I'm in Colorado and you're in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so they're now a client. Originally, I was just buying something off of an Amazon seller. So, you know, treating them with that, you know, treating them like a client from the very beginning, even if they're not, gives them that that sense that, hey, this person knows what they're doing. Um, And then, you know, when you give them some advice, so the first thing they did is, you know, can you review a model? You know, I give them a review fee and it's now become a, a, a fairly regular gig. That's very cool. Wow. So uh, I have to ask because there's 
vineyards all over the place where I live. What does a vineyard drone do? So vineyard drones, th- these guys, they're actually one of my earliest clients. And it was originally for just a simple pro job, uh, which is my software. And it's now become a two year on and off project thing to through two generations of their of their drones. Wow. But what the vineyard drone does is it's specifically a very complex camera and electronics package that's hung up underneath a drone. Okay. That can actually fly over a vineyard and tell it, okay, this area is too dry. This area is too wet. Ah. It has spectrophotography capabilities. Okay. So it can even determine things like certain nutrient limits and stuff, um, depending on how the different uh, camera filters are used. Wow. So the drone's cheap, but the camera's like five grand. Agriculture seems like kind of not that interesting, but when you start looking at the way technology is being applied to agriculture, it's actually, I think, super interesting. Especially in things like the hydroponics world now. Um, Yeah. The the ability to take a big warehouse building that nobody wants anymore and turn it into basically 10 times the amount of farmland that Mm. the actual acreage is. Wow. Okay, so the Vineyard Drone is essentially a, a very advanced mobile sensor. Rather than having mm-hmm. sensors everywhere, you just have one sensor and fly it around. Yep. That's cool. And you can program it to pattern. They, they can program a flight pattern over your vineyard. So it's like, okay, my vineyard is based on these GPS coordinates, and I want you to do this pattern, and it'll just fly over it in that pattern. So you don't yeah, have to actively sit there yeah. and fly the whole, the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's neat. That's cool. Well, Dorian, thank you. I really appreciate that that insight into how you've made things work for you. Um, I know a lot of your business development is sort of through relationships and some of it is local and maybe not apparent on your website. But if folks wanted to check you out online, where where would they go? So the website is www.catsdesignfarm.com. Uh, C-A-T-Z, <laughs> design, <laughs> farm as in farming. Okay. Um, and then there's also a Facebook page for, for me as well. Okay. Super. Dorian, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.